Is there any part of you that thinks that all of the well wishes we extend over the Christmas holidays, any part of you that thinks that they're a little bit of sentimental hogwash? Do you ever think about that or, or <laughs> am I the only one? You know, we go around, we're talking about peace, we're talking about love, we're talking about joy, we're wishing everybody a happy new year. Uh, a phrase that I've been using a bunch is, is wishing for or praying for the fullness of God's blessing upon people in the year ahead. And as you go through this, is there any part of you that thinks, we're just blowing smoke here. We're just blowing smoke. What, what does all of this mean? Because the fact is, we have no idea what 2021 is going to hold for us. We don't know if we're going to experience peace and joy and all of that stuff. We don't know if 2021 is going to be a great year. Truth be told, 2020 was a bit of uh, the phrase that's being used as a dumpster fire. <laughs> a dumpster fire. Just out of control, chaos, frustrating, isolating, all of that going on. Now that's make, maybe making light of that a little bit, but, but also there's this reality that when we started the year 2020, we had no idea what we would face. And for some of you, 2020 has been a year of incredible tragedy. Incredible tragedy. And my mind is drawn to three instances. I know that there are more, but three instances of tragedy that have impacted our church community over the past year. The first one I think of is the, the surprise passing of Angela Steckley's mom, Judy uh, Jacobs. The second one I think of is the surprising and untimely death of Kyle Gingrich at 31 years old. And the third one I think of is the death as well of Nathan Gingrich. These were all incredibly tragic and no one could have seen, no one could have expected that these horrible events would happen when we flipped the calendar last January 1st, 2020. And these are all in a year in which we said we wished one another a happy new year. In which the Christmas prior we had celebrated these themes of peace and love and joy. One of the central Christmas themes that we, or pronouncements that we make, that the scriptures make, is this idea of peace on earth, goodwill to all humankind. Peace on earth, goodwill to all humankind. So we say this stuff. Is this true? Is there any truth in this? Or is, or is it sentimental hogwash? Are we just kind of aspiring for the things that we hope for but don't actually happen? I mean, other instances of tragedy this year, we, there was a bombing in Nashville uh, on Christmas Day this year. We think of other instances. Christmas Eve of this year, the Boko Haram, a militant Islamic group in northeast Nigeria, they uh, slaughtered 11 villagers in a Christian village um, in the midst of a Christmas Eve worship celebration. Incredible tragedy as they were celebrating this message of peace on earth, goodwill to all humankind. Or you think of maybe the, the, the granddaddy or the most monstrous example that we might have is the tsunami that struck the nation surrounding the Indian Ocean in 2004 on Boxing Day. This was the tsunami of 2004, killing over 200,000 people. This affected people of a number of different uh, religious groups, but no doubt it affected Christians. Christians who just the day prior had been worshiping and praising God and, and rejoicing and celebrating this promise of peace on earth and goodwill to all humankind. And the next day, 
their lives were destroyed by this horrific, I can't even imagine the scale, horrific tsunami. So how do we make sense of it all? I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's because one of the gifts God's given you, one of the curses is I tend to be a realist. Sometimes I struggle to be an optimist. Am I a cynic, a realist? I don't know. But oftentimes I think through these things and I say, well, what does it mean? This, this sentimentality, this, these, uh, these things that we proclaim that are, are they really true? And as I think about this, I think like what, what is the year 2021 going to bring us? What horror, what tragedy, what chaos in the mix of the blessings, in the mix of all of the wonderful things God is doing. And, and what I appreciate about the Christian scriptures, I can't say how enough about how much I appreciate this. The Christian scriptures are scriptures for a realist. They don't gloss over details. They don't aim to make things shinier or more, more perfect than they truly are. And I think that we see that in our text today. This is the follow-up story after the story of the wise men coming to worship Jesus. After that, it presents this story of horror. Let me read it to you. And actually, just to provide context, I will also read the story of the wise men here just so we kind of have it set up perfectly. Starting in Matthew chapter 2. I'll give you a moment. Actually, you, you can pause the video. Turn, turn to it on your Bibles. Turn to it on your, uh, your phones. I invite you to, to read with me from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets have written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and make careful search for this child. And when you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him too. We see here that Herod is being a bit of a, a, bit of a trickster. Verse 9, after they heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and presented him with gifts of gold, and of incense, and of myrrh, and after having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and they left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the prophet had said, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. 
Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, he took the child and his mother, and they went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what had been said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. So we can, we can read this text and we can say, awesome, isn't that great? God preserved the life of his son, Jesus. God delivered Joseph and Mary and Jesus from the terrible plan of Herod. And no doubt God did. Thanks be to God for that. And yet we can't just rush through the story. We can't just gloss things over without acknowledging the horror that still took place. Because God had chosen Jesus, because God had sent his son Jesus, God in human flesh, to begin this rescue plan of delivering the nations from sin and evil, because of that, because of the resulting envy of Herod, a whole host of young children were slaughtered. Herod was a terrible man. He was known for being murderous. He killed several of his family members in the course of his life because of his need for control. He lived in fear. He acted out of that fear and created great horror because of it. And, and so we have these children, and, and estimates indicate that for Bethlehem, given the size of the town that it was, that it would have been somewhere, probably 20, somewhere between 10 and 30 young boys who were killed. This is remembered in kind of the, the terminology for it within the Christian tradition is the massacre of the innocents. The massacre of the innocents. Think of those, those families, of those 10 to 30 young boys, two and under. Can you imagine the horror? Can you imagine the crushed the crushed dreams? Maybe these were mothers who'd been trying so hard for so long to have their first child. The joy of these families. Imagine the hopes and the aspirations of the parents, the fathers thinking about what their young sons would become one day. Horrible. I, I can't even imagine what it would be like in a town in today's day and age, in, in Canada, to have between 10 and 30 on the same night children slaughtered. Just horrible. And the text honors their grief. It picks up on a text from Jeremiah. And it, it, this is a text where God's people were taken. They were taken prisoner and they were carried away from their town in Bethlehem to Jeremiah. And it talks about because Rachel. So going, going back in the Jewish story, you've got Jacob and Rachel. Jacob is the father. Israel, he's kind of the patriarch of God's people. His wife is Rachel. Rachel was believed to have been buried in Bethlehem. And so it's speaking of her in a metaphorical way, kind of fictitiously saying, in her town where she is buried, she is weeping. So she wept 
in that time, back hundreds of years prior, when her people were carried off as prisoners from her land, and now in Bethlehem, when these, when these children are being born, the same text, the same prophecy applies or is fulfilled even further. And it says in verse 18 of our text, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Our text honors this tragedy. As much as we celebrate that Jesus was delivered, we cannot ignore the fact that a horrible, horrible, horrible event took place. And what's fascinating to me, this is in the same birth narrative shortly after it was said by the angels. The angels proclaimed the coming of Jesus to the shepherds. And they said in Luke 2 verse 10, it says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Was this story, this arrival of Jesus, was it good news? Was it a story of great joy for these families who lost their children? In verse 14, those angels, they say together, they sing, they say, Glory to God in the highest, and peace to men on whom his favor rests. The arrival of Jesus most certainly did not immediately mean peace for these families in Bethlehem. Instead, we see the massacre of the innocents. And what I love about Scripture is it doesn't gloss this over. The writers aren't just like, oh, shoot, how does this fit with our narrative? We were just talking about joy. We were just talking about peace, and now this happened. Well, we'll just, we'll just keep that quiet. We'll, we'll, we'll push that out of the story. They don't gloss it over. They don't try and put a, a bright, shining light on it all. They tell the story, and they acknowledge the horror. I appreciate that because I think that it gives us permission. I think that it leads us to expect. It leads us to have the capacity to accept, to receive, to engage in, to understand the reality that even as Jesus came, even as he extended peace and goodwill, even as we, re we, we wish that peace, that joy, that hope upon one another, we still will experience horror. Evil is still unleashed in our world. And God allows this. God allows this. I, I don't, boy, I, I don't understand why. I don't. I don't know why. Why does God allow these horrible things to happen? Why? I mean, God could have intervened. He could have, he could have spoken to Herod. He could have struck Herod down. God at least, you know, he was giving dreams to Joseph in the story. Could God not have given dreams to those soldiers as they made their way to Bethlehem saying, listen, this Herod has deceived you. This is not God's will. Turn and go the other way or you will face your judgment. Why didn't God give them a dream indicating that? And God didn't. He allowed this horror to happen, the massacre of the innocents. And so it is in our world today. God allows these terrible, inexplicable things to happen. I don't know why. I only know that God allows them to happen. But we also see in this story that God still sovereignly unfolds this planet. And so we see this, this tension or this juxtaposition of two things that really don't make sense. Two things that don't make sense. One is God allowing th these things to happen. And the other one is God still carrying out 
his plan, continuing to, to reveal, to unfold his rescue plan, it not being thwarted. God goes to great lengths to make sure that Jesus would survive, that he could carry out his ministry on earth so that he could go to the cross, so that he could come to the resurrection. He gives Joseph dreams. We see in verse 13 of our text, it says, When they had gone, the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. God gives dreams. God gives him another dream when it's time to return to safety. God is intervening to carry out his plan. We also see in the text three different prophecies. Hosea chapter 11, 1, it says this event of Jesus going to Egypt for safety and then returning to Israel from Egypt fulfills a prophecy from Hosea 11, 1 that said, Out of Egypt will come my son. This was a prophecy that had an earlier particular application in the life of Israel. But with these prophecies, they're always ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate outworking of God's people. They failed. They didn't get it right. Jesus came along and he lived as the perfect Israel. And so there's these, these, um, it's, it, it's like he, he, those are like foreshadows of who Jesus would be. And Jesus points back to, connects to, fulfills that story. So when it was said by Hosea, my son will come out of Egypt, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that. It points forward to his story. We also see this with, I mentioned earlier, that morning when uh, Jeremiah spoke, the morning in Bethlehem because the people were carried off as prisoners. And so it is now in the story of Jesus when there's mourning there because of the massacre of the innocents. This again is a fulfillment of the story of Israel. And then there's another prophecy a little bit later on in, uh, in our text, verse 23. It says, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. This is not a direct prophecy, but a play on words. Nazarene is connected linguistically to the idea of a branch. We have prophecy about Jesus being the branch of Israel. And, and, and so it indicates that when those things were spoken long ago, the fact that Jesus is going to be a Nazarene, it's, it's doing the silly play on words. He's going to be a branch from whom true Israel would grow. And so we see that in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this horror, God set out this plan. He presented these prophecies declaring who Jesus would be, and God continues to unfold that. He continues to move his rescue plan forward to save his people from sin and evil. It doesn't matter what Herod had in mind. Herod thought he was the great king. He was trying to control his destiny. He was trying to keep a firm grasp on his kingdom, but he wasn't the true king. God, the Father in heaven, is the true king. And so no matter what Herod did, as horrible as it was, God was up here working things out, refusing to be thwarted, continuing to unfold things so that Jesus would live, showing us what God looks like. So Jesus would die to wipe us clean from our sins, so that Jesus would raise from the dead, indicating life forever. And ultimately, so that Jesus would come back again one day to fully and finally set up his kingdom, his peaceful kingdom, his kingdom of shalom. So God continues to carry out this plan as much as Herod tried to destroy it. So where does this leave us? Evil happens, God allows it, and yet God continues to work out his plan. What, what does this mean for us? Are these Christmas well wishes, are they simply sentimental? 
we look at this and we see that this peace that Jesus brings comes in part on earth. I have seen peace. You have seen peace. Joy and hope we experience in part. And yet it's not complete. It's not whole. There will be points where it will be shattered in horrid ways because it's not fully and finally set up. The deceiver still has reign on earth, even as we experience that peace. But Jesus will come fully and finally one day to wipe all of that off the map and to set things right. But this kingdom can come in our hearts now. And so I think that that's where the application for us is in this. We're going to work toward peace. I want to make the world more peaceful, joyful, and hopeful than it is was yesterday through God's work in me, through God's work in the church. I want to do that. And I want to wait and expect and hope and pray for, anticipate this idea that God's going to bring all that finally. So, so we, we have it in part, we look for it in full, and in the meantime, we recognize that God's kingdom can come in our hearts. So that no matter what happens to us in the midst of the grief and in the midst of the sorrow, we truly can experience the peace of God. I think that that's possible. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 points to this. Paul writes this. He's sitting in jail and he says to the people, he's telling them to pray always, and he says, so that the peace of God, this peace that we talk about at Christmas, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, this peace of God that doesn't make any sense. You can't figure it out. It doesn't make sense. It transcends all understanding so that it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the peace and the joy and the hope that we can aspire to today. John 14, 27, Jesus speaks this over his disciples. He says, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Remember, he speaks this to his, his disciples saying, peace I give you. These are the disciples who trembled after his crucifixion. These are the disciples who lived on the run fearing for their lives. Peter, whom Jesus spoke this directly to, was crucified upside down because of his faith in Jesus as the resurrected Lord. So Jesus gives them peace, but they didn't fully experience peace on this earth. And yet there was this possibility for the peace of Christ to arrive in their hearts. I don't know what 2021 is going to bring. I don't know in what ways tragedy is going to affect our lives. It, it kind of makes me shudder to think. And I, I guess, I mean, we don't know the future, so I'm not going to spend much time trying to think about that. But I hope that this message right now prepares you for whatever tragedy we might face. In the moment of tragedy, that's not the time to sit and give all these theological answers. That's the time to sit, lament, and grieve enter into the pain, just as Jesus did with us by coming to earth. But it's now, before that tragedy arrives, that I want to prepare you to be ready for when it strikes. To be ready to understand that evil happens. To understand, even though we don't understand why, to understand that God allows this to happen. To understand and to know that nothing will thwart God's ultimate plan in your life. He is going to rescue you as much as things may hurt, as horrible as things may get, he is going to unfold his plan to rescue everyone and to give life forever. And then fourth, through inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives, through seeking the power and the presence of God, we can find this inner peace that will guide us through whatever it is 
that we can face. And you know what, I've, I've been thinking the last couple of days a little bit more about ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Most of you will know that, that Brittany's father passed away from that a number of years ago. And it's been on my mind a little bit more in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, some of you will remember Philip Cerez. Philip is the husband of Robin Cerez. They work together as a team with Multiply. So that's the, the MB uh, missions agency. He preached with us back here, here uh, March, going on two years ago. Um, so you may be aware of who he is. And, and I really look up to Robin and Philip. They've become, become friends to me. And uh, Philip's been experiencing slurred speech over a number of months. And, and they thought maybe, they checked in with a couple of specialists and thought maybe it would be ALS. And I was on a call a couple of weeks ago where he, he shared this with the team. And as he spoke, it just took me right back to the way that Brittany's dad sounded when his speech was slurred. And I had to like step out the call. I got quite caught up in emotion. It triggered some grief for me and it, it kind of stunk. And so my heart's kind of been going out to him and, and I just received word from them this week that it has been confirmed that he does have ALS. And so my mind was drawn to this and thinking about what Philip has described so far in his journey. And what I remember Brittany's dad and Brittany's mom clearly expressing was this peace that carried them through. It was crazy hard, crazy hard. There was grief and frustration, all the limitation, but them saying, I have a peace that God is with me and he will carry me through. And I'm hearing Philip say that so far on this journey, this incredible, a peace that passes all understanding. And so it's, it's, my, it's my heart, it's my hope that I would grow into the capacity to have this peace, that you would grow into the capacity to have this peace, a peace that will guard your hearts, a peace that will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. I think that this is a significant part of the peace, of the well wishes, the happy new year that we express, the peace on earth and goodwill to all men. That is going to come someday. I, I can't wait. Come, Lord Jesus, bring us that peace. And as we wait for it, may we allow God to fill us because I believe with all my heart, as hard as it may be, whatever 2021 brings you, whatever 2021 brings you, that God will carry you through and that God can give you peace if you allow him to come in and to minister to you. And I think that's what we're wishing one another. So is, is all of this well wishes? Is it sentimental hogwash? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that maybe as a, as a realist, as we express that, we express it knowing full well that incredible horror might unfold. We also know this might be a, a wonderful year in all respects. But it could also be a year in which horror unfolds. But God will give you peace and will carry you through. We yearn for that, we aim to live it out, and we receive that in our hearts and minds, a peace of Christ that transcends all understanding. And so, I, uh, I guess I, I conclude this Christmas season by wishing to you, declaring the promise of God of peace upon the earth, peace to all humankind through Jesus. Let's take a moment and pray. God, we long for this peace and we simply ask that you would give it to us. Open our hearts, open our eyes so that we would know, know how to receive this from you. We, we pray that you, would just, that you would give it. And we trust in you that you will guide us through whatever, whatever comes. Thank you so much for your presence in our lives. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks a lot for joining me for this time. And I invite you 10 o'clock Sunday morning. 
10 o'clock Sunday morning. Join us on Zoom. If you don't have the link, if you're not from KZMC, you didn't receive it in your weekend reminder, message us. Shoot us a message on our Instagram, Facebook platforms, email myself, email our admin assistant, Taylor. Uh, get in touch with us. We'll get you that, that Zoom link and uh, we'll have some time of, of some music and some prayer and sharing with one another. Alrighty. Hope to see you then. Take care.